As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On March 5th, a Liga MX game between Querétaro and Atlas erupted in violence. Fan groups from both teams clashed in the stands and on the field as the teams, bystanders, and media ran to the exits. The images that were produced from these clashes were harrowing, and they were broadcast around the world on social media. Yet still, there was a sense of mystery about what exactly happened, how it happened, and why. Not long afterward, Pablo Maurer and Felipe Cardenas from The Athletic traveled to Querétaro to get closer to answering some of those questions. They are here today to talk about their story and what they found. From The Athletic, I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for the weekend of Friday, March 18th. Before we get to Felipe and Pablo, as always, we'll have your TV guide for this weekend. All times are Eastern, and I'm just going to pick a few games every day for you to keep an eye on because there's a lot of games because it's the weekend. Obviously, today we have one Premier League game at 4 p.m. Wolves taking on Leeds. If you want to see the latest in the Jesse Marsh experience at Leeds, that'll be on USA Network at 4 p.m. And then tonight, the NWSL is back. The Challenge Cup, the preseason tournament, it starts at 7.30 p.m. Racing Louisville FC taking on Kansas City. That will be on Paramount+. Plus. It continues with a little bit of a rivalry game. Seattle's OL Reign versus Portland Thorns at 10 p.m. Eastern on Paramount+. Plus. On Saturday, there are a couple interesting games, including in Serie A, some uh, interesting ones in the title race there. Inter Milan taking on Fiorentina at 1 p.m. on Paramount+, Plus, and then at 3.45 p.m., Cagliari take on Milan, AC Milan. That is also on Paramount+. Plus. Both those teams thick in the race for the Serie A title. There's also an FA Cup quarterfinal in England, Middlesbrough hosting Chelsea at 1.15 p.m. That'll be on ESPN+. Plus. And the NWSL action continues with the very first game for both Angel City FC and the San Diego Wave. They play each other at 9 p.m. on Paramount+. Plus. There's also a full slate of MLS action through the afternoon and night. On Sunday, get started bright and early, 8.30 a.m., Crystal Palace versus Everton. That's one of the other FA Cup quarterfinals. That'll be on ESPN+. Plus. All the other FA Cup quarterfinals are the same day as well. At 11 a.m., Southampton hosting Man City, also on ESPN+. Plus. And at 2 p.m., Nottingham Forest hosting Liverpool. 
There is also a little game called El Clasico in Spain. I don't know if you've heard of it. Real Madrid versus Barcelona. That's at 4 p.m. It'll be on ESPN+. And then the Premier League, Tottenham Hotspur take on West Ham United in a London derby at 12.30 p.m. on USA Network. All right, with that, I'm going to send it over to Felipe and Pablo. All right, I have here with me Pablo Maurer and Felipe Cardenas. Pablo and Felipe, you got back a little while ago from Querétaro in Mexico, uh, covering, let's just say, maybe the aftermath of uh, the violence that took place at a Querétaro FC game against Atlas FC a couple weeks ago. I'm curious, you know, first of all, you've written this great story about it uh, that's up on The Athletic now. It's linked in the show's description. What was it about this particular event that made you guys want to go? Um, Felipe, maybe we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was the shock of it all, I think. It was something that none of us had seen, like that sort of violence in, 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 a, in a soccer stadium. And, you know, I remember that Saturday night talking to you uh, and, and Brooks Peck, you know, the other editor and. Uh, it wasn't, it was very early the next morning that Sunday where we were already discussing going. And I think I won't speak for Pablo, but I, there, there was sort of this moment of understanding that this was a global event. It, it was on every ticker. It was on CNN. When I was watching CNN, if I was on ESPN, I saw it on ESPN. Uh, I saw it on the BBC. Like this was a massive story and uh, we wanted to go down and cover it. Yeah. I think for me, it was something that had the potential to change football forever in a way. Um, and, you know, I'd mirror pretty much everything that Felipe said. I mean, I'd also say from, you know, purely from a storytelling perspective, there are just so many things at play here. Um, you know, when you dig into why it happened and, uh, you know, what can be done to keep it from happening again. I mean, there's so many things culturally, societally, um, you know, that sort of overlap and, and go outside soccer, football, whatever you want to say. So certainly, you know, I, I think I think both of us, it was a story that appealed to us and we were, we were eager to get down there and sort of research it. Yeah. So, you know, obviously seeing something like this happen on TV, reading about it, that's one thing. But what I remember most about the immediate aftermath of this is just this, this sort of fog of, 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 not disinformation, but it seemed like nobody really knew why things were happening or, or what even exactly had happened. So as you're going down to Caretaro to sort of get the lay of the land, find out what people are saying, maybe get some more details, what did you expect to find going down there? And probably we can start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, and Felipe can add to this if he wants. I mean, I don't think either of us thought, you know, for me, it was, you watch the videos and like anybody else, you know, you see sort of the horror of them and it seems incredibly hard to believe that nobody died in the attacks. And I think going down there, um, you know, it was my goal to sort of take people's temperature about that and, uh, you know, figure out whether that was true, you know, could it even maybe, you know, was there some semblance of a cover up, et cetera. I don't think either of us were under the, you know, illusion that we'd be, you know, doing this sort of shoe leather journalism, you know, going to, you know, more execs, Y and Z filing records request. But, you know, I was, I was mostly interested in going down there and talking to locals and gathering their impressions of, um, not only what happened, but, you know, like I said, digging into the cultural aspects of this, their distrust of 
their government, you know, connections potentially to organized crime, that sort of stuff. So I don't know, for me, like I said, just goes back to it being such a layered story. And I think that's, that's, you know, um, sort of what I wanted to dig into even from the beginning. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. And also I had a feeling, and I think when Pablo and I were there, we both, I think we, we, we talked about this. Like we, I think just being there, we felt like the, the city would guide us. The people would guide us. Like as soon as, once we started talking to people, uh, we would find something out and, and it would take us to an, in another direction. Like that happened, but not in a way that I think many expected. Like we weren't uncovering uh, anything that, that hasn't been widely reported. You know, I think what, what the difference in our story from, from perhaps other reporting, even in Mexico is who we spoke with. Uh, you know, the, the, my, my sources in, in, in Liga MX were, were op- you know, open to talking and discussing the, this very serious matter and how it's going to change the sport in that country. Uh, and for me, the first person I spoke to, I think this is important for listeners to understand, like I spoke to the, the, the photographer, you know, the morning after, you know, Sunday morning, March 6th, uh, 6th, he was 24 hours removed from that. And that for me gave me like, a, not clarity, but it, it really centered like, wow, like this person lived this, um, you know, now, now we have this and that, and you know, it was only a few days later where I knew he wasn't talking to anyone else. Cause he chose not to for his safety. And that really motivated me to, to get down there with Pablo and, and, and sort of peel the onion, you know, beyond what just happened on the field. Like we had the eyewitness account, like, why did this happen? And, and what are their people feeling? And, and that was a big part of the story, you know, humble people, you know, proud people, proud of their city that were visibly shaken and embarrassed and ashamed about what had happened. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, you have that eyewitness account from the photographer who was on the field shooting the game that all of a sudden was shooting a very, very different type of event uh, as he as he recounts in your story. Um, what did you find while you while you were down there? Maybe that you didn't expect to find uh, that you know did anything match up exactly with your expectations? I'm kind of curious how the scene in in Caretero and and the the mood of the people that you talked to match up with with what you expected. Yeah, I you know for me what I was surprised by, and I, I ended up staying an extra day after Felipe left. Um, dealing with some passport stuff and the people I talked to that day, I guess what I would say, man, is I felt a little naive because it's, you know, I don't know. I'm, you know, used to existing, um, in the United States and sort of talking to people, even if you're cold calling them who are more or less comfortable talking to you about everything. Um, but an issue like this where the sort of tentacles reach into 
some of the darker corners of society and the, you know, cartel violence, organized crime. Um, you know, many people I talked to kind of would get very quiet around those subjects. And I just found myself thinking like, yeah, you know, how did I think people were going to be? You're literally a stranger asking them about, you know, sort of like the darkest element of the world they live in, you know? So I think the other thing I was surprised by, man, is, you know, it's easy, like, Philippe and I and everybody else, you see the misinformation that was shared on Twitter that night, even, you know, people saying there were, you know, 10, 15, 20, hundreds of people killed there. And um, I figured that not that, it, not that you know, like the people in Gittet that it would be like immune from that. But I mean, I, I think the sort of like uncertainty and misinformation was even more drastic there. I mean, I think we write in the story, the first person we talked to said over oh, 700 people dead which is just like so obviously a fiction, yeah. you know? Uh, so I, I was definitely surprised by that, you know, it's just one of those things, like every single person we talked to from every walk of life all had their own version of events, their own suspicions, you know, it's just sort of like a, a maze you have to navigate. Yeah. That, that same person that we spoke with <laughs> that, that mentioned those deaths, like the, the hundreds of deaths, 700 deaths, like he made a point to show us his Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was his main source of information. And, and you know, that's, that's telling of, of what happens w- when news breaks around the world, you know, and, and what everyone from, you know, journalists to just, you know, parents and teenagers are all dealing with. Uh, you know, what I found is that, you know, I've been to, Me- that was my fourth trip, I think, to Mexico, um, you know, as, as a reporter with The Athletic, and, and I've been to Mexico for different things to cover. The last time I was there, I was covering like a very like high end event that, you know, the, the, the brand reveal the new logo for the Me- uh, Mexican national team. You know, we were uh, wine and dined by the Federation. They were very professional, very gracious to us. We went to the Azteca. I saw like the pinnacle of Mexican football. It was amazing. And I think this story just brought me down to earth. Like to speak of what Pablo said about being naive, it's like you, 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 you realize that, uh, you know, things happen in a way that are unexpected and they affect people that uh, are, are in many ways, you know, innocent, uh, just, you know, normal citizens that are sort of dealing with the news of now their their city is, is sort of the focal point of a global story. I thought it was interesting that a doctor we spoke to, uh, while he wasn't in the emergency room that night, uh, when we told him that we're a journalist from the United States, he like lit up. He was like, wow, like, that's great that you guys are here. Like, thank you for coming to my city. Uh, but that wasn't the way we were received every single time, you know, like to Pablo's point, some people were, were quiet. They would look us up and down. They weren't sure if they wanted to talk to us. And while people are open to discussing the distrust they have of like authorities and and the problems in, 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 in football in general, uh, there are topics that they won't touch, that they won't talk about. And, and a lot of it is because they, they live it. They're, you know, Queretaro is a, it's not a sprawling city like Mexico City. It's very quaint. It's like a valley, sort of like reminding me of being like in a the desert, sort of mm-hmm. um, industrial, if you will. And and that's it's very humble people. And so when we were there and we realized uh, the personality of the city, that I think that just really allowed us to to dig in and, and understand what those people are going through. Yeah, I, I did. You know, I mentioned in the piece, and it's something I, I we were. You know, Felipe and I were driving kind of through the center of the city and then out into the outskirts to the training facility for 
um, for the team. And I did at some point talk to him. And this was later mentioned by somebody else, too. I, I turned to Felipe and I said, man, like, I don't think I've seen one jersey here. You know, I just sort of like assumed that was, you know, because you walk around MLS town or something like that. And like, you might not see jerseys. I mean, I know it's a bit of a false equivalency, but like, mm-hmm. um, you know, then later that evening or the next day, somebody said something on the lines of like, how many jerseys have you seen since you've been here? And I said, oh, you know, like none really, or I think it was one. And he was like, they'd be all over the place. They would normally be all over the place. Sort of nobody wants to be seen in one right now, you know? So it was just like, you know, I think even one of the guards we talked to said something along the lines of, you know, like we see this has obviously gone out to the world. I mean, you guys are here. Yeah, It says something. You know, like, so I think, yeah, there's a, a, I don't know, you know, embarrassment's the wrong word, shame, even though it was used a lot, sometimes it's the wrong word. It was just very sad. Yeah. Sort of like a, just a depression that, that this is what, in the present at least, they're known for, you know, this is really unfortunate. It was heavy. I was, I'll just say that finally, Alex, like it felt heavy, like the air felt heavy, like both the temperature and like the vibe around the city. And when we would go to the stadium, we went several times, uh, you know, to see this, the way it's described in the story, um, the way Pablo described it, you know, beautifully, it, it is, it does, it is awe inspiring to see this version of a sort of a, a stadium built in 1985 that hosted a world cup. Uh, and to see it, um, in this state and not just the fact that it's could be a bit more well-kept, but it really did look like we we were stumbling on like the scene of a crime. Like we were there um, and it was just desolate. Just no one else was there. Uh, it was as if no one had gone and cleaned up after the fans that had been there the last game. Like it was just intact. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, gen- it genuinely reminded, you know, like I, I do a lot of photography of abandoned places and I, you know, I've shot a bunch, you know, I shot the Pontiac Silverdome when it was abandoned. It genuinely felt the same to me. It felt like just a disused you know, like a stadium that would never, you know, you'd never hear the noise of fans in it again or something like that, you know? Um, that's just the scale of this. I mean, it just felt like a, like the death of something, honestly, you know? Um, I'm curious if, if the, in the process, now that you've reported the story and written it and it's, and it's out, if the whole process of going through uh, the story has affected or will change the way you see Mexican soccer, ultras culture, or anything else that maybe, you know, you, you wouldn't have, you might've just taken it to be like part of the game that maybe now you think a little bit deeper about, or are these things that you already knew existed that this was just kind of an example of? I, I, man, I distinctly remember I lived in Spain. My family's Spanish. I lived in Spain when I was 13 and 14. I remember going to a Barcelona Real Madrid game. Um, in Madrid, and I remember, uh, I want to say it was like a, um, a UEFA Cup game. And like, I remember after the game um, in the streets seeing fans of both sides, you know, just wailing on each other, throwing bottles at each other, that sort of stuff. And um, I don't know, it's sort of like at that age, it was this. Uh, it was like part of the fantasy of the game or something like that. You know what I mean? It was like, didn't really even seem harmful in a way. Mm-hmm. And like, 
you know, and MLS, for example, you have these occasional clashes between supporters that, you know, amount to like people throwing a sandwich board or something like that. And it just sort of, it's this like dramatic flare up. And like, then, you know, every once in a while you have people who are beaten nearly to death in soccer stadiums. And it's just like uh, a reminder of the violence and sort of savagery that permeates the sport in a certain way. I don't know that it changed my impression of Mexican football in particular, you know, but it was to me just a reminder of just the most disgusting nature of the sport, you know, um, one that's still prevalent. I mean, you see it obviously in England in the nineties and early two thousands and stuff, eighties, et cetera. But, you know, I don't know. I, we should definitely, I hope the visibility. Yeah. I hope the visibility of all this, obviously this is like, has had a global footprint um, leads to it not happening you know, again, generally, but I'm, I'm not really holding my breath. We should definitely take care to mention that uh, Mexico is absolutely not the only country to deal with problems like this. We saw this at Euro 2020 just last year at the final uh, yeah. with, with, with issues there. And that's, you know, I would, you know, you could say an entirely different sort of stage. Felipe. Yeah, I agree. It hasn't changed my perception of Mexican football. I think as our, as our league MX source says in the story, it, it woke up a lot of people. I think that's the difference. I think for North America, because it feels so close to like American fans, they're watching Liga MX, they keep hearing about it. Uh, that was perhaps the most shocking part for, for the, the, our audience. But to Pablo's point, like I grew up going to games in Colombia where my family was from. Um, ten, I was 10 years old. The first time I went to like a Clásico where it was pretty intense and to Pablo's point, I thought it was amazing. As I got older, I learned as a teenager to go to those games and like maybe wear a neutral color, like not wear the color of the team I'm supporting. Um, you know, I had friends and cousins who's like would have flags ripped from their hands and broken in front of their faces and like just things that you know how to avoid. Uh, and you accept them as like the, 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 the bad part of the sport of the live event. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't change how I view even Mexico, like, like I said, um, I think it just is, was an unfortunate incident that highlighted a lot of the problems, um, around the league, around the stadiums, around front offices in that country that no matter how much they want to advance the sport, they have a real problem on their hands. And it's a problem to Alex's point that you see around the country or, or around the world, especially, uh, South America is one that has very serious ultra and, and Barra Brava problems. And so Mexico seemed immune to it in a way because I just feel like nothing like this has happened. But clearly part of the reporting is like this is an ongoing problem. It's one that they've it had perhaps has festered for too long and it's essentially blew up in their face. Yeah. You know what else didn't change my perception of Liga Max was watching the revolution blow that 3-0 lead last night. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> We need a little bit of comic relief. <laughs> I think I think that's a perfectly fine way to end it. Pablo and Felipe, thank you so much yeah. for writing this story. Uh, it's a really great one. Uh, everybody listening should check it out. It is up now on The Athletic, and it is linked in the show's description wherever you are listening. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show, guys. Anytime. Man. Yeah, my pleasure. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can subscribe for $1 a month for six months by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. We'll be back on Monday. Enjoy the games. Thanks for listening, and happy soccer to you all.